0: Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Saroski, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, Critics' Choice, or Cult Classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to kick off the month of February by celebrating Black History Month, So this episode is focused on movies, television, and music featuring African-American artists. No, I'm not trying to be all woke, so stop rolling your eyes. You can appreciate diversity without being a social justice warrior. The early 90s were an incredible time to grow up and highly influential, especially if you were a music fan. With the help of MTV, two genres emerged to dominate the airwaves. The first was grunge and the alternative rock culture. You had Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, The Melvins, Hole, Screaming Trees, Mudhoney. This movement effectively killed the 80s hairband scene. Flannel shirts and dirty hair replaced Neon and Aquanet. The irony is, many of the 80s hairbands are still touring today, whereas most of the grunge icons are dead. The second was rap and the hip-hop culture, NWA, Public Enemy, Ice Cube, ice Tea, Vanilla Ice, (laughs) no, I'm kidding, I'm taking him out of that, Tupac, A Tribe Called Quest, Dr. Dre, Snoop Doggy Dog, The Wu-Tang Clan, Notorious B.I.G., you know, just to name a few. I mean, the Sugarhill Gang with their groundbreaking rapper's delight and Run-D.M.C. with their cover of Walk This Way helped mainstream the genre, which paved the way for these artists who took everything to that next level. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a historian on rap music. But I'm very much aware of the events that occurred within my lifetime and how it affected society. As a young white kid from suburbia, this was really my first exposure to African American culture. Growing up on Long Island, we didn't really have diversity. I mean, I could probably count on two hands the amount of ethnicities we had in my school. So watching MTV and seeing all these videos really opened up my eyes to different cultures and communities out there. And I was fascinated. I remember watching a video, and I swear this is true. But they had a hot tub in the middle of the driveway in the front yard. And I just thought to myself, is that what they do out in Los Angeles? Do they just have hot tubs in the middle of driveways? Is that a thing? Am I missing out? It looks really cool. So I wanted to learn more. I wanted to absorb these sounds that I was hearing. The beats were great, man. And I like that sound that was really common in a lot of 90s rap music. It's most prevalent in gin and juice. It's like a whee! I don't know what it is, it just takes me back. I'm also a big lyrics guy, so if I can understand it, it doesn't matter what the genre is, I can connect to it in some way. And even if I can't, I could still appreciate the the rhythm and the rhymes. Now grunge and rap might seem to be the antithesis of each other, but both had angst and anger behind the music. The subject matter might have been different, but there was passion in the lyrics, the rhymes, and the beats. And when you're a burgeoning adolescence, those are emotions that you can immediately cling to. I don't think it was an accident that both genres emerged around the same time. They were products of that time. They captured a moment and a feeling. For grunge, it was more internal. They were addressing alienation, isolation, bullying, being outcasts, whereas for rap music, it was more societal. In March 1991, you had the Rodney King incident, where LAPD officers were captured on video beating him up. Then about two weeks later, Latasha Harlins, a 15-year-old African-American girl, was killed by a convenience store owner. The person was fined, sentenced to probation and community service, but no prison time. So it shouldn't be a surprise as these events stacked up that when the LAPD officers were acquitted for use of excessive force in the Rodney King case, that it would be the impetus for the LA riots from April 29th to May 4th, 1992. And it's a shame that almost 30 years later, we're still talking about these same issues. So when you look at me, you might not peg me as a fan of rap, but it's because of this time period with grunge, rap. MTV, and adolescence, that I became enamored with this scene. Unfortunately, the deaths of Kurt Cobain, Tupac, and Biggie effectively ended this era. Other artists have emerged, the music has evolved, but the defiance, the intensity, and the spirit that was so prevalent has not been equaled. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars is Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars is Standard Fair, Four stars is worth checking out, and five stars, must see. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie. Fruitvale Station, from 2013, starring Michael B. Jordan as 22-year-old Oscar Grant, who we follow around the Bay Area on the final day of his life. I was not initially aware of this tragic story until the movie was released in theaters. It either shows that I had blinders on at the time, or the news media didn't report it nationally. It was written and directed by Ryan Coogler, who helmed Black Panther and Creed. This was his debut feature-length film, and the talent is immediately apparent. Great camera work, good shots, solid performances. Previously, he directed a few shorts and won some contests, which put him on the radar of Nina Yang Bongiovi and Forrest Whitaker, who were producers on the film. Now, this is the first biographical movie I'm reviewing, and all my comments will be about how the characters presented in the film. These are the impressions that I get from that. I'm certainly not making a judgment on the man, Oscar Grant. Michael B. Jordan delivers a nuanced performance, balancing the good-hearted nature of Oscar and the vices holding him back. I first saw him in episodes of Parenthood as Hattie Braverman's boyfriend, and he appeared in another Jason Caddams-produced series, Friday Night Lights. It's been fun watching him progress and develop as an actor, whether it's Oscar Grant, Adonis Creed, or Killmonger. He always seems to have something that's custom to that character, but in each role, he's so natural. I really feel like I'm looking at a different person. He might physically look the same, but there's something about the characteristic that makes that persona stand out. Melanie Diaz portrays his girlfriend Safina, who is the mother of his daughter Tatiana. I knew the actress looked familiar, and she appeared in the movie Lords of Dogtown, which I used to be obsessed with. I think it was the first film that I had seen Heath Ledger in, and thought his performance was really unique. So it's New Year's Eve, and they're making resolutions. Oscar vows to change his ways, and that leads to a conversation about his infidelity, which she believes has occurred more than once. They're an imperfect family, but you can tell that there's a deep love between them. Octavia Spencer plays his protective mother, Wanda. The last movie I watched her in was Ma, and here she plays an entirely different type of Ma. I've always liked watching facial features and body language. Sometimes that's all you need to express an emotion. There was a scene where she was talking with Oscar on the phone. He was driving and she asked if he was using a Bluetooth. She knew from his voice that he was lying and her body immediately tensed up. I might be overthinking it, but it felt like they were planting the seeds that the mother was constantly worried that if her son got pulled over for a minor offense, that something bad might happen to him. While they definitely have love for each other and show affection, there seems to be much conflict between mother and son. It's revealed that he went to prison the previous year. And when she visited him at San Quentin Federal Penitentiary, he accuses her of never being supportive. I wish that part of the story was explored more. It seems that they've repaired their relationship in present day, but it would have been interesting to see that process, even though I know it isn't the main focus of the story. Wanda's birthday is on 1231, so Oscar drives around the city running errands, preparing for that celebration, as well as planning for New Year's Eve. Throughout the day, we get to know more about Oscar but I think it's an allegory for human beings in general. There are good people who do bad things. There are bad people who do good things. Badness and goodness are not mutually exclusive. I think we're all a balance of those attributes. He's outgoing and charming, a likable personality, but he also has a bit of a temper and short fuse. He loves his girlfriend, thinks of getting engaged, but he definitely has eyes for other women and is flirtatious. He's a good guy who's flawed. No matter what you think of his lifestyle, he does what he needs to do to get by and cares for his family. He lends money to his sister to pay for rent at a time when he doesn't have a permanent job. He absolutely loves his daughter and has such a solid relationship with her, which makes the ending so powerful. As I was watching the film, there's such a feeling of dread that hangs in the atmosphere because you know where the story is going, and the fact that it's true makes it all the more heartbreaking. This movie is timelier than ever, and I think what's most frustrating is that it didn't have to be this way. A life didn't need to be lost in this situation. When these scenarios occur, everyone is so quick to take sides even before all the facts are presented, and I think what this movie is trying to show is that there is a real life beyond the headline or the picture in the newspaper. There is a flesh and blood human being with family and friends. Look, I don't have all the answers. If I did, I wouldn't be sitting here doing a free podcast, but I know we're better than this, and when we add another name to an already long list, it's disheartening and and just can't continue. Alright, so maybe there is a little social justice warrior in me. Fruitvale Station was filmed in Oakland, California for a total of 20 days. The score, composed by Ludvig Gorenson is atmospheric and delicate. Tatiana, Undefeated, and Gumbo are beautiful pieces of music. Just put it on in the background when you're trying to study. The runtime is one hour and 25 minutes. Ultimately, the movie comes down to resolutions, fish fry, dark butter, blowing trees, firecrackers, train dancing, Chuck E. Cheese, and tragedy. There really isn't much more to say. It, um, it just makes you sad. I give it four and a half out of five stars. If you've seen Fruitvale Station and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt watch that Playback. The Pointer Sisters were a female vocal group formed in 1969, starting off with Anita, Bonnie, and June. They became a foursome when Ruth joined in 1972. Bonnie left in 1977 to start a solo career, and the group stabilized for almost 30 years. Over their career, the music evolved from gospel to bebop to jazz. They were the first African-American group to sing at the Grand Ole Opry, and won a Grammy for Best Country Vocal Performance. It wasn't until the 80s where they focused on pop and dance songs, which brought them commercial success. The group had 13 U.S. Top 20 hits. They also recorded the pinball number count for Sesame Street. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. The Pointer Sisters were a cross-generational group. Their music was suitable and appropriate for grandparents, parents, teenagers, and children. Everyone could enjoy their songs. I'm So Excited, Jump, Slow Hand, Fire, written by Bruce Springsteen, Neutron Dance, which was the theme to Beverly Hills Cop and featured in Stranger Things Season 3. Oh, Alexi, I Need You. Not Alexi, that's another one of their songs. Automatic, He's So Shy. I saw them live when I was about eight years old at Westbury Music Fair on Long Island. I think it's called the theater at Westbury now. It's a great venue. In the round. The sound system is phenomenal. They were amazing live. Fun, energetic, lots of neon. Their movements are choreographed to the songs, but not so much where they couldn't walk around the stage freely and interact with the audience. I'm a big fan of harmonies, and their vocalizations are some of the best. I came across a video called The Pointer Sisters Live in Paris. We had a VHS of this concert that I used to watch all the time, but it had been many years since I'd seen it. The show is great, beginning to end. Each sister has an opportunity to sing a song solo, but when they're together, that's magic. All vocals live, no backing tapes, the band is tight, I don't know who the bassist is, but he kills it. As I was watching, there was one song that I didn't remember called Dare Me. It peaked at number 11 on the Hot 100 in Billboard, but it seemed to fly under the radar, especially compared to their monster hits. I didn't know this factoid, but there's a famous Casey Kasem outtake where he's doing a long-distance dedication to a family who lost their dog Snuggles. He flips out, and what sets him off is that he's coming out of an upbeat song and going into something somber. That upbeat song was Dare Me. I've posted a video of Dare Me from this performance on the Matt Watch That Playback playlist. I thought it would be fair to post a song featuring each sister singing lead, so you'll find Automatic and Slow Hand in the playlist as well. But if you have the time, watch the entire concert. That's Matt Watch That Playback on YouTube. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about The Shy, created by Lena Waithe, actress, writer, and producer extraordinaire. The show is about an event that intertwines the lives of people in a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. It stars Jason Mitchell from Straight Outta Compton, Antari Guma Mabaho Mwenhe from Heroes in Treme, Jacob Lattimore from The Maze Runner, and Alex Hibbert from La La Land. I mean Moonlight. I was absolutely hooked by the first episode. It's the best character-driven drama on television. The relationships are pure. It feels so authentic. When they're looking into each other's eyes, you can feel a history between them. I honestly care about each one of these people and their lives. Now, if you're looking for a lot of action, this isn't your show. This is strictly a drama about people. It's like watching a great play. I thought the first two seasons were some of the finest storytelling and filmmaking. It's a crime that it hasn't been nominated for more awards. Now, between the second and third seasons, there were some onset issues that led to the changing of cast and dropping of storylines. So, the third season was a bit of a reset, and it took a few episodes to find their footing, but overall it was solid. I like the direction the show is going. The Shy has been on for three seasons, 30 episodes. The series was renewed for a fourth season and airs on Showtime. So, check it out. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag Matt Watch That on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need listeners first. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, I'll see you when you get home. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or, Saw- or Saw's. And he appeared in another Jason Catman's, oh boy, Catam's, Cat Catness. I'm a big fan of Harmonies, and their vocal of a, oh. The Shy has been on for 30 seasons, 30 seasons. Boy, the kids that start out at 12, they're like in their forties now.